Welcome to the IC Made On podcast. We are so glad that you've chosen to listen online. If you would like to know more about who we are, why we exist, our service times and location, or how you can get involved, then check out our website at icmadeon.com. We hope you enjoy the message today. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, you are different. You are different. We're not making fun of each other, okay? We're all different. That's okay. No. Uh, welcome to IC Maidon. If this is your first time, if you're a VIP, I want to say welcome. My name is Adam, and I get to serve on the incredible dream team here at IC Maidon. And like Pastor Chris, our lead pastor, said earlier, he's given me the opportunity to end the last chapter of First Peter for us today. So I'm really excited about that. And then next week, actually, we're going to take a break from the series because we actually want to also go through Second Peter. Uh, but next week, we're going to kind of take a break from that, and we're going to have what we're calling Vision Sunday. And this is a cool Sunday that we have every single year. Uh, it's really just an opportunity for us to Number one, look back and see what has God done through his church here at IC Maidon in the last year. Uh, we're going to look ahead to where we're going. Um, and so we're going to talk about our vision, right? Why we do what we do here at IC Maidon. Why do we have this church? What is our purpose? Um, so it's going to be an awesome Sunday. If you're new to IC Maidon, that is a great week to kind of figure out what this church is all about. And if you've been coming to IC Maidon for a long time, it's going to be great because we're going to look at um, all of the awesome things that God has done in the last year. So I'm really excited about that. Um, so today, though, we are going to finish up, like we said, this last chapter of 1 Peter. And I love this chapter. Before we get into it, though, if you are a guest, I just want to catch you up a little bit and give you uh, kind of an, a, an idea of uh, what this... What this series is about and what this book is about, um, the book of 1 Peter, it was written by a man named Peter. He wrote this book. He's one of the apostles of Jesus. In fact, the Bible um, describes him as one of the closest to Jesus, uh, one of the closest friends that Jesus had when he was here. So he writes this letter to um, Christians who are living in the time of of Nero, who was an emperor who's actually responsible for a lot of persecution toward the church. So Peter writes this letter to these Christians who have been scattered and forced to uh, leave their home, and now they're living in a foreign place, and they've, they're really going through a difficult time, difficult season in their life. So Peter writes to them to try and encourage them. And to try to encourage them to be different in the world that they're living in. So today we're going to get into chapter um, chapter five of First Peter, and in this chapter, Peter talks about four general topics he touches on. And the first one he want, he talks about is the role of church leadership. This is kind of cool because this isn't a topic that is talked about much in the church. It's not one that we talk about often, uh, but we believe it's really important, so we're going to talk about that. He talks about those who are under church leadership. He also talks about how uh, we should have humility in our relationships toward one another. And then at the end, he touches on uh, perseverance. And when you look at these four topics, 
that Peter talks about, it's almost, it almost looks like he's kind of jumping around, right? Like maybe is he talking about, does he have a big idea in mind? Is there something that he wants to communicate through all four of these? And I believe the answer is absolutely yes. There is a big idea, and we're going to talk more about that toward the middle of this message. Um, but I love this chapter. It's a great chapter. It's, uh, it's an encouraging chapter, but it's also kind of challenging, actually. Some of the things we're going to talk about are really going to challenge us, but I think that it's going to be um, really good for us. So let's go ahead and get into the chapter. It starts 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter says this, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder in a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So he's talking to elders. He says, elders, listen, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So in this first part of the chapter, Peter is talking to and challenging church leaders. He says elders. Um, when I was growing up, I always thought that the word elder just meant someone who's older, right? Elder, someone who's older, that makes sense. Um, and that is what it means in one sense. But in this case, when he says elders, he's not necessarily just talking about people who are older, right? Because he, he actually tells us, he says to the elders, be shepherds of God's flock. Or in other words, be the leaders that I've called you to be over God's people, over the church, so he's talking to church leadership, church leaders, those who are leading the church. This could be older people, obviously. Um, it could be people who have more experience, who are wiser, who are looked up to as people who are godly and faithful. But it's also really talking about pastors and staff and those who are leading the body of Christ that's who Peter is addressing, and he's actually challenging them, right? So this is kind of interesting. I really believe this. The, the, what Peter is telling or challenging the, the leaders to be, that is really what you, all of you, everyone who goes to church or is a Christian, that, this is how we should expect our leaders to lead us. This is the kind of leadership that God wants to see in the church. So he challenges the leaders, and really he does this in two ways. Number one, Peter challenges our motives. He challenges our motives, the motives of those who are leading the church. Why do you do what you do? Why are you leading people? Why are you building a church, building a community? What is your motive, right? He says that these leaders should not pursue dishonest gain. In other words, leadership in the church shouldn't be in it 
just to get something for themselves, right? What are we motivated by as leaders? Are we motivated to lead people just to get them to do something that we want them to do that will benefit us? Or are we as leaders wanting to serve people so that it can benefit them? What, is your, what, what motivates you to lead the church? What I love about IC Maidon, we have a set of values here. Um, if you're on our team, if you go through the growth track, you'll learn about them. Um, but we have a set of values. In our first value, the, the first thing that we say is that we love God. That's something we value. That is our most important value. We love God. And that is really the motivation behind everything we do as a church. Everything we do as a staff, everything we do as leaders, we do it. Why? Because we love God. And we believe that God has called us to lead his church. We believe God has called us to build a community where people can come to know God they can come and, and find freedom in their life, discover their purpose, and ultimately make a difference. Do all that God has called them to do. That's the motivation behind everything we do as leaders, especially here at IC Maidan. So he challenges leaders. He challenges our motives. Why do you do what you do? This is the kind of leadership that God expects in his church, and this is the kind that we should expect out of our leaders. The second thing, Peter challenges our methods. He challenges our methods. How do we lead the church? How do we lead? He talks about two different kinds of leadership, actually. He mentions this. He says in there, he says, we shouldn't lord it over those entrusted to you. In other words, what Peter is saying is instead of lording it over the people, we should be an example to the people, right? I'm sure many of us have seen both of these kinds of leadership in our own lives. For those leaders who lord it over their people, what he's, what he's basically saying is there are leaders who they want everyone to know that they're the leader, right? Right? They want people to follow them simply because they are the leader. A lot of times, these kinds of leaders, their motivation, they're motivated by what they can get out of those who they are leading, right? These kinds of leaders, they often make people, they often make themselves look like they're way up here, while they make everyone else feel like they're way down here, right? People who have this style of leadership, they, they lord it over those entrusted to them. They, they make them, they actually, what they do is they separate themselves from the people, right? They, they create this, this gap between themselves and everyone else that they're leading. But that's not the way that God intended leadership in the church to be like. Instead, he says that we should be an example to the people, we shouldn't just tell people how to live. We should show them by our own life how to live. We should show them what it means to follow Jesus, right? In fact, 
one of the greatest church leaders of all time, he wrote this. His name was Paul. And in fact, he's responsible for writing over two-thirds of the New Testament, two-thirds of the second half of the Bible. Paul, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Man, he was a good leader because he understood that people need to see with their eyes how to live their life and follow Jesus the way that he's called us to. And as leaders, we should, this is the kind of leadership that we should have. We should say, hey, watch me. Watch the way that I live. Watch the way that I treat my family. Watch the way that I work. Watch the way that I deal with conflict, right? A good leader doesn't put themselves way up here while they make everyone else feel like they're down here. A good leader says, hey, we're all in this together. We're all the same. We're all human beings who are struggling and trying to do our best to follow Jesus. And a good leader says, listen, follow me and, and look at how I live as I do my best to follow the example of Jesus. So he challenges how we lead. He challenges our methods. But he doesn't stop there, right? He doesn't just challenge leaders. He also challenges those under leadership. He actually challenges the church. So how many of you are ready to be challenged? You ready? Just a few of you, yeah? No, I'm just kidding. He's going to challenge us this morning. So I hope that you're ready. This is going to be good. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 5, he says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. This was my mom's favorite line when I was growing up. She loved to tell me this. I thought she just made it up, right? Just like, hey, you need to listen to people who are older than you, okay? And I always thought that that meant like, like people who are over 65 or something, you know, like the, the older people. Um, I'm sorry, I should... If you're 65 years old, you are not old. Um, you are 65 years young, okay? Um, that was my perspective as a young kid. I know better now, though. Um, anyways, but he says that we should submit ourselves to our elders. Now, I understand that this is not really a popular topic in our world today. In fact, that word submit and it can actually make us feel uncomfortable, right? Sometimes we don't like the idea of submitting ourselves to anyone, right? That's in our nature. We want to we be kind of rebellious. We want to kind of do things on our own, right? We don't want people telling us what we should and shouldn't do, right? So that word submit can be kind of uncomfortable, but actually that word submit could become a great blessing, in your life, and I want to show you how. Not only did Paul write that in 1 Corinthians about being an example and following his example as he tries to follow Christ, but Paul also wrote this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. 
They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. So Paul is writing to Christians and he's saying, listen, you should honor your leaders. You should listen to them, value their advice. Follow their example. And the reason that I believe Paul knows this is so important is because this is actually the way that God designed for all of us to be cared for, to be strengthened, and to be blessed. I really believe this. God, he decided that he was going to use people. He was going to put people into positions of leadership or authority to do what? To reign and rule and dominate? No. He does this in order to help you. In fact, if you look at the language Peter used earlier, he said to the, to the leaders of the church, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. This is what leaders do. If you think about the analogy he uses, he talks about leaders as like being shepherds, right? Shepherds of like a flock of sheep. And in the same way that a shepherd cares about his sheep and protects his sheep and feeds his sheep, that's the same way that God designed leaders to care for God's people. God designed leadership and authority as a gift to all of us. And so when we actually honor that authority, when we honor those leaders in our life, and we submit to them, and we listen to them, and we value them, and we respect them, God will honor us. He will use them to bless us. The best example that I can tell you is, is even from my own life, actually. I can tell you 100%, if it was not for the authority and the leaders in my life, there's no way that I would be here today. In fact, the first person that I ever kind of, uh, if you want to use that same terminology, the first person I ever really submitted myself to, because, you know, growing up, I didn't like to submit. I was very rebellious. So when I became a Christian, the first person that I submitted myself to, you ready for this, was my girlfriend's father, okay? It's kind of awkward, right? But I had actually, it's a funny story, I had just gotten out of jail, and I was still trying to figure my way around becoming a new Christian and things like that, and instead of kicking me to the curb and telling me, no, you can't date my daughter, because I really, you know, at that point, I were wasn't really a great guy. Instead of doing that, he said, why don't we hang out like twice a week, right? And, you know, it's my girlfriend's dad, so I couldn't say no, you know. That would put me in an awkward position. Um, so I said yes. And what he did was he met with me twice a week, and all we did was hang out and talk about life and following Jesus. And he really just used examples from his own life and talked to me about things that God was doing in his life. 
and tried his best to help guide me and lead me on my journey to following Jesus. And listen, because I I decided in my heart, I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to follow his example. I'm going to submit myself to him, respect him. Because of that, God actually was able to push me further than I would have been able to go on my own. Why? Because that man, he challenged me. He stretched me. He cared about me and the call that God had on my life. And so he's actually the one in the beginning, he was the one that encouraged me to step out and to do what I felt like God was calling me to do. So I believe today that if it wasn't for him, I may not be here today. If it wasn't for the fact that God put a great leader in my life and I decided to follow him and to submit myself to him, I may not be doing what God has called me to do. So leadership, authority, it can be a real blessing in your life. And I believe that is why Peter is encouraging us to submit ourselves to leadership. So Peter challenges leaders, and he challenges those of us who are under leadership. And I'll say this, all of us should be under some kind of leadership. Even us as leaders, we have people, we intentionally put people into our lives, surround ourselves with people who we submit to, who are our leaders because it's healthy for our life. But then Peter doesn't stop there. Now he challenges every single one of us, leaders and those who are under leadership, all of us. He challenges every single one of us. And this is where I believe Peter begins to communicate the big idea behind this whole chapter. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, at the end of verse 5, all of you, everyone, whether you're a leader or you're not a leader, everyone, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Man, this one verse is packed full of some really interesting things. First of all, he uses that phrase, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves with humility. When this book was written, it was actually written in the Greek language. It wasn't written in English or Bahasa or anything. It was written in Greek, and so we've had to translate it. Well, when he wrote that, in the Greek, that word has this meaning that they understood when it was spoken. What he was saying was it's kind of like taking um, what they would take as like a servant's robe or a servant's cloth or a servant's apron, and they would tie it around themselves in order to serve someone. A good example of this is when um, Jesus, at the, toward the end of his life, he actually did this. It says that he, they were all in a room, him and his disciples, and he put on the servant's cloth or the towel or whatever it was, and he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. This is an example, number one, of good leadership, but this is also the idea 
that Peter is trying to get across. In fact, there's one version of this scripture that says that we should serve one another in humility. Serve one another in humility. The second thing that's really interesting about this verse is how it says that God opposes the proud. He opposes people who are prideful. The word opposes is actually a really strong word that he used in the Greek. It wasn't, it wasn't like he has a different opinion, right? We have opposing opinions or something like that. When he used that word opposed, what he was literally saying was God actually rages in battle against. He used a very strong word that means God actually fights against people who are prideful. Now, that's strong language. And, and so obviously, Jesus, God is really concerned about this idea of being prideful because he says that God actually fights again. Now, I don't know about you. I don't want to be in that position, right? I don't want to be the one who is being raged against by God. I'm pretty sure I know how that ends. You know what I mean? Um, it's probably not going to turn out in my best interest. So I don't want to be in that category. How do we put ourselves in the opposite category? I believe the big idea behind what Peter was really trying to communicate was this. Pride says, I can do this on my own. But humility says, we are better together. Pride says, I can do this on my own, but humility says that we are better together. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. Listen, often in our lives, we, we want to imagine that we can, we can live out our faith, our walk with Jesus. We can do it on our own. Oftentimes, we're tempted to think that we don't need people telling us how we should live or how we should walk out our faith or whatever the case may be. For Even for those of us who are leaders, there's times that we're tempted to put ourselves way up here and say we don't need people that are down here, right? They need us. But that is the wrong attitude. That's the kind of attitude that God is opposed to. He fights against people with that kind of attitude. Why? Because if you have that attitude of pride and you say, listen, I don't need others, then what you're really doing is you're robbing yourself of everything God wants to give you through the relationships that he's placed in your life. Pride robs us of so many blessings that we could receive if we would allow other people into our life. But humility, if we would humble ourselves and you say, you know what? I really do need people. I really do not have it all together. I cannot walk out my faith in Jesus alone. Sometimes that's hard to admit, right? As people, we want to make it look like we have it all together, right? Leaders, we're tempted to do this ourselves. We're tempted to have it all together, right? We feel like there's pressure on us to be 
to be uh, holier or better than everyone else. And so we're tempted to make it look like we have it all together. And then what we do is we isolate ourselves from relationships. We don't open up about the things that we struggle with. We don't want to admit our failures or our mistakes or the things that are hurting us, the things that we're suffering from. And because of that attitude of pride that's crept into our heart, we are suffering even more and robbing ourselves of the blessing of having others in our life. So, pride says, I can do this on my own, but humility says, we are better together. Now, Peter begins to really nail down his point. He's going to really bring it home in this next scripture. I want to read it for you in verses 6 through 10. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I love, I love how Peter talks about this idea of the enemy, the devil, being like a, a roaring lion. In fact, I was reading this week as I was getting ready for this message um, I thought, you know, I should just Google some stuff about lions and about the animal kingdom, and it was pretty fun. Um, one thing I realized was that lions are absolutely vicious. They do not care about what they eat, right? They, they really don't have a preference. They'll eat anything. A couple of things they love. They love zebras. They love uh, antelope and deer. Um, they love giraffes. They love elephants. I don't even know how they eat an elephant. You know what I mean? Like, how does a lion kill an elephant? That's, that's crazy. But they eat all kinds of things. They'll just eat anything that has meat on it, right? They're carnivores, and they're vicious. Um, so anyways, while I was reading about this, uh, it became obvious to me how this principle works in our own life. So lions, when they're hunting prey, the prey that they usually hunt, those animals, they usually travel together, right? They travel in a group. Why do they do that? Why is it that every time a, a lion is looking for a meal, he's got to go and look at this whole group and try to pick one out? The reason is because the animal kingdom understands this principle that Peter is trying to help us understand. And that is that we are better together, right? They know, hey, if I'm alone and I'm out there and I'm the last zebra in line, guess what? I'm going to be zebra cakes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I 
What's funny about that is we actually, in America, we have something called zebra cakes. So um, it's just, I love those, and I miss them. Anyways, um, so the zebra knows if I'm the last one, I'm about to be a meal, right? I'm going to get eaten. Why? Because a lion will go after whichever one is more vulnerable, whichever one is slower, right? Whichever one gets kind of away from the rest of the pack that's the one the lion goes after. It's much more difficult for a lion to chase down and to kill something if it is surrounded by a bunch of other animals, right? It's more difficult for them. So they go after the one that is weaker. They go after the one that's more vulnerable. They go after the one that falls behind from the rest of the pack, and they devour them. And what Peter is trying to teach us is that the devil, the enemy, he does the same exact thing. When the enemy is looking for someone to destroy, to devour, guess who he's looking for? He's looking for those who are more vulnerable. He's looking for those who are alone. He's looking for those who've separated themselves from the rest of the pack. And those are the ones that he chooses to track down and to devour. We have a real enemy. And he has a real plan for your life. And it's not a good plan. He wants to destroy your life. And the easiest way for him to do that is to get you to separate yourself from relationships. That's the easiest way for him to bring you down and to destroy your life. I'm going to ask someone from the worship team to go ahead and come forward, and I want to close. But before I do, I want to just read this last portion that Peter tells us again. Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, he himself, talking about Jesus, will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. After you've suffered a little while. In fact, he even says before that, he says, listen, you know, you need to resist the enemy. Why? Because you know that, that there are people all over this world who are struggling with the same things that you're struggling with. You know, often we're tempted to think in our darkest moments and in those times in our life we're going through a difficult season, we're tempted to think that we are suffering on our own, that we're suffering alone, that people don't understand what we're going through. People don't know what it's like to suffer the way that I'm suffering. But what Peter's trying to say is, listen, that is not true at all. There are people all over the place who are going through the same things you are. And what he's saying is if you would just open up your heart, be willing to humble yourself and talk about those things that you're battling, talk about those things you're struggling with, talk about your weaknesses, talk about those difficult situations. Listen, you will realize that there are people who are going through the same things that you are. And that's when he says this at the end. He says, then, after you've suffered a little while, Jesus himself will restore you. 
He'll make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Listen, how do you think that Jesus is going to make us strong, firm, and steadfast? What is Jesus going to use to pick us up out of our suffering, out of our difficult circumstances, brush the dirt off and make us strong and firm and steadfast in our faith? What is he going to use to do that? He's going to use people. He's going to use the relationships that he's put into your life. He's going to use the leaders that he's placed over you to care for you. He's going to use people to make us strong, to make us firm, and to make us steadfast. There's no way for us to be strong in our faith, to be firm in our faith, if we're doing it on our own. There's no way to do that. Pride wants to make us think that we can do it on our own, but pride is going to rob us of all of the incredible things that God wants to do for us in relationship with one another. That's why we so believe in life groups here at IC Maidan. In fact, we have a life group season coming up soon, but I remember our last life group season, it ended a couple of weeks ago, and we had this post-life group leaders dinner together. You know, we just got together and we talked about what was working in our life groups and the challenges that we were facing, and we talked about testimonies, and I was so encouraged. And what it really showed me is it really, it really reminded me of how important relationships are. It reminded me of why we do life groups. There were testimonies of leaders who, it was their first time leading a life group. They stepped up and they really believed that, that God wanted them to get involved in a life group because, number one, they needed the relationships, but they, they also believed that there were others who needed those relationships as well. So they started this life group. And man, the testimonies from some of these life groups of people who before life group, they had no relationships. They had no one to encourage them. They had no one to meet with them and who they could talk with and share their struggles with. But after getting involved in life groups, they were able to actually build those relationships and find people who were going through the same kinds of things that they were going through. And together, they could encourage one another. And just like Peter says, that is exactly what Jesus uses to restore us and to make us strong and firm and steadfast. So if you're here this morning and you say, yes, I want that. I want to be strong in my faith. I want to be firm. I want God to restore me and take me out of this suffering. I believe the only way that he's going to do that is if we will humble ourselves and choose to get involved in relationships. Those are the things he's going to use to restore the brokenness in our own lives.